Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. Today I'm joined by my good friends and colleagues Tom Marvin and Liam Cahill. And in today's episode of the podcast, Liam and I are going to be cross-examining Tom like a naughty MP who's been caught with his fingers in the till about his controversial gravel opinions. Tom wrote an opinion piece about his sort of hot takes on gravel a couple of weeks ago and it's been lingering in my inbox and I feel like before I get stuck into actually editing this one, I need to hear from the man himself justification for these spicy opinions. So we're going to be running through in no particular order five of Tom's biggest gripes with gravel bike tech today. Before we start though, very briefly, Liam, how are you today? I'm I'm very well. For, for the listener, we are filming after lunch. I've just had a very big lunch, but I am pulling back my enthusiasm for the day with the finest energy drink around, which of course is proper full fatty fat Coca-Cola. Well, you're not going to require that to get you amped up because Tom's aggressive stance. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> sure my blood... the adrenaline pumping in a few short minutes. My blood pressure is going up as just sitting here. <laughs> Tom Marvin, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. I've been battling with the CMS this morning, so I am amped up and ready to spew hatred <laughs> through the microphone. <laughs> Very good. All right, well, without hanging about any longer, Tom Marvin, your first... Big spicy gravel opinion is that all gravel bikes should have suspension. Absolutely. Go on. Absolutely they should. For one simple fact, we ride bikes to go fast, we ride bikes to go far, and we ride bikes to have fun. The three big Fs, as I like to call them. (laughs) Uh, And I would like to put it out there that suspension helps you do each of those betterer. 
And therefore, gravel bikes, as designed to go off-road, deserve to have suspension on the front of it. And this isn't the first time I've spewed this, this opinion on the podcast, but I stand firm by it. I would like you to cast your mind around the world of off-road machines and think of a single other one that doesn't have suspension. You can't do it. You have tires. You have tires. That's every suspension. Off- every off-road going machine has tires. Now, why would you have t- suspension? Well, the point of suspension is to smooth the way. It helps the front wheel, if you have it just at the front, stay in contact with the dirt. Now, this does a number of things. First off, it makes it more comfortable. And if you're more comfortable, you can go further. If you're more comfortable, you can also go faster. The other sort of benefit of having the front wheel in, con- in complete contact with the ground is that it boosts control, okay? Your bike is smoother. It means that those little ripples in the ground are eaten up by your suspension, meaning they don't find their way to the handlebars. This means that the tire is more likely to be able to do its job properly, i.e. give you grip. And this gives you more control. If you have more control, you can go faster. There is no argument for not having it. Well, Liam, what do you think? Oh, uh, I actually agree with him. Oh, come on. We need to have you. You I've got the Lauf Segler, Mm -hmm. which we had in for a video, and it's kind of stayed around with me. It will be going back, I promise. So will mine. Uh, (laughs) At some point. Um, And I've also, uh, it's being fixed right now, but I've had a specialised Crux, Mm -hmm. the new one. Specialised Crux, for comparison, for those that don't know, and the Lauf, I should say. Lauf is a sort of... Front suspension equipped gravel bike. The crux is about as far removed as you could possibly get from that. Fully rigid, very lightweight, simple gravel bike. Carry on, Liam. The Lauf is more capable. Mm -hmm. End of. It has bigger tyre clearances, which probably help it. But the crux gets quite a way there in terms of tyre clearances. But that Lauf is just so much nicer to ride on your everyday gravel I would not take it into a cyclocross race. That's where the crux comes in. In a racing scenario, I'd choose the crux. But for the majority of my riding, I would choose the Lauf. If you were going to go and do a 200-kilometer, say, like, is it called Unbound? Unbound. Unbound. Um, Would you not take the comfort and the control and the ease of the suspension as well? Probably not. I'd Would want, you not? I'd probably want maximum... Your hands shaken to death if, with all the pins and needles coming through them. If I'm, yeah. if I'm fully honest, there is no way in hell I'm going to do 200 kilometres oh, well, okay. of gravel. I will do the 100 miler or something like that and then be in the beer tent a lot mm-hmm. earlier because let's be honest, that's just as much fun. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm a racer. I'm a road racer at heart and I just like slick tyre efficiency. And none of that fancy suspension. Interesting. Okay, from a grand, you just did Grand Giro, Jack. Oh, hardtail mountain bike. On a, on a <laughs> no, no, that's the bike that I would have ridden. <laughs> so, if you had to do it on a gravel bike, you had to have curly bars. Would you have done it with suspension? Grand Giro, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's <laughs> it was quite a spicy course. I did the Welsh one this weekend, just passed, and it was excellent fun. Really, really good event. But it definitely, like, the, the field was quite thinned out early on because it was quite technical riding, I would say, for a gravel race. Mm-hmm. In that case, yeah, I probably would go for suspension. I think if I was riding competitively, it's something like Dirty Reaver, which is the closest equivalent to, like, a long gravel race I've done. It's a 200-kilometer gravel race in the north of England, kind of on the border of Scotland. Oh, tricky. See, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here, right? So there, there is one area of gravel riding where maybe I wouldn't 
need suspension. And that is like classic Midwestern, super fine, lovely, basically tarmac roads, but they're just made out of mud. And then I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue for suspension on road bikes, although actually I feel that maybe they should. But on that sort of gravel, I can see why you might not have it, okay? On something like the Dirty Reaver, where it's like fairly smooth gravel, mm. medium chunk, mm -hmm. having suspension would allow you to get away with a lighter weight, faster rolling, potentially easier to ride with thinner, narrower, smaller tyre. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. I think my concern would be slightly on that would be long tyre longevity and rough terrain. I think I just, yeah, it depends year to year. The Dirty Reaver has got some quite gnarly sections. I guess what I'd be interested to know is the cumulative savings and making that quite boring, very long ride go as fast as possible. Mm. Would I be giving up much with the extra weight of suspension or would it be just as fast? Don't know. I'd, I'd have to do some... Um, some actual research, but that's not what the listeners came here for. They came to hear your vitriolic, well, angry opinions. I think my subhead that may or may not make it to the edit is gravel bikes without suspension are archaic, and I stand by that. What do you think? Is Tom on the right track? Do you ride a suspension-equipped gravel bike? This is actually something we talked about in a podcast a while ago. From my perspective, I've seen very, very few suspension-equipped gravel bikes out and about, and I've always wondered, like, you know, it's something we report on because it's interesting tech new releases, all that sort of stuff. But I'm always curious to hear from the listeners, or the viewers, or the readers, whether or not you are actually out, you're out there using it. Send your thoughts to podcast at bikerader.com. That's true of all these points. Nice one, Tom. Next, we go on to, <laughs> and this perhaps is a bit more of a universal one, but I think we can, we can tie it specifically to gravel bikes. You believe that gear cables suck. I believe gear cables can get in the sea. Now, Throughout winter, right, you spend a lot of your time riding out in, in the slop, in the mud, in the rain, in the grit and all that sort of thing. When I get home, the first thing I do is turn on my hose or my pressure washer, spray it all off and chuck my bike in the garage. Ah, the life of a mountain biker. Oh, the life of a mountain biker. <laughs> now, the hose does a very good job of getting the bike relatively clean. What it doesn't do is a very good job of ensuring that if you have running cables, you have crisp shifting day in, day out. Mm -hmm. Because that requires more work. <laughs> <laughs> now, fortunately, SRAM's wireless drivetrains have consigned such miserable shifting to room 101 if you just accept that wireless shifting is the ultimate in performance. Now, it's very easy for me as a, a, Cushy, a cushy cycling, cycling journalist who doesn't really have to dip my hands in my pocket to get such finery. Now, I appreciate that that is not the case for everyone. And I also appreciate that actually, having ridden some mechanical drivetrains recently, they can feel amazing if you're willing to put the time in to maintain it. And you know what? I think that's fine. Actually, like, it's pretty good. It's, you know, they, they feel incredible and you know shimano's sti shifters you know the mechanical feels brilliant on a drop by it really it really does but you're not going to get me away from wireless shifting anytime soon <laughs> uh, man of the people tom marvin as ever liam cahill what do you think on this one i really rate a mechanical <gasps> shift why because i've just had an experience with my lovely di2 which i i, I love to bits but the front derailleur stopped working. And if you've had DI2 or any electronic issues in the past, sometimes it just goes wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and there is no apparent reason. For a mechanical system, I could generally work out what's gone wrong. There, there's been a snap somewhere. 
yeah. or a crackle or a pop. <laughs> this, n- nothing. It turned out that as I, uh, you know, connected it to the eTube app, no updates required. It turns out that if you manually force the, each component to search for an update, it will find an update and it needed one because mm. it just wouldn't do anything. Did so it forget how to shift? It, it forgot how to live. Okay. <laughs> um, the problem is, as well with the wireless uh, DI2, is that you need the shifters to be wired into the mechs or a component oh, yeah. to actually update them, which if you've just bought a bike, you know, like I did, mm. I ain't got a spare wire. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams. So they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great. But together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. So, so this is where I am going to shine the light on SRAM's equipment. Because it is truly wireless. It is actually, yeah, better. And it's, it's incredibly it's really better good. than Dude, this. It's just yeah. the consistency of shifting. Like, you know, like when you ride mechanical stuff through a winter, and if, you, if you're like me, you don't maintain your bikes because... This sounds like user error. Everyone's going to be screaming at their headphones now, but carry yeah, on. Yeah, but they're all going to be screaming, maintain your... Yeah, but it's easier not to, isn't it? Life's, I like an easy life. You get consistent shifting every single time. That click does not change. Mm. And on a long, horrible, gritty ride, say you're going to go and do the dirty reaver, say you're going to go and do unbound, something like that, and it's in a wet, you know, wet conditions, I will bet your bottom dollar that at the end of, dirty re- uh, at the end of unbound this year, which was a wet, sticky one, mm. anything wireless or anything electronic felt 10 times better than anything with a cable in it. And my, my, my final point on you know, okay, there's the consistency, but the other beautiful thing about it is like when you've got, a mechanical shift and you're pushing and pulling that cable through the cable hours. You cannot ignore how terrible your drivetrain is behaving. You, you're physically connected to how out of tune your bicycle is. With a button, you don't even know half the time. It's great. <laughs> oh, Tom. <laughs> um, I am a bit more on the fence. I think given the choice, I would probably have something like a DI2 group set. But I'm a man of the people, Tom. Down to earth. Unlike the new you- SRAM Apex stuff put out there? Isn't that wireless? That's wireless. It's cheap. Relatively cheap, yeah. yeah. But then I just think about all the excellent bikes I've ridden with the affordable GRX group sets. And I'm not afraid, although some of my colleagues would say the opposite, but I'm not afraid of cleaning my bike occasionally after a ride. I don't know if you've won me over on mm. this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a place for cables. I'm not I'm not that like up on my little throne. Like, I understand. And I have used cables. And I have recently actually uh I have opinions on electronic group sets that I will go into on, on the site at some point down the line where actually there is a mechanical group set I prefer over 
an electronic one. But you'll have to wait a few months until I can be bothered to write about it. <laughs> On the mountain bike side, just to, you, you know, your day-to-day job, your mountain bike tech editor, electronic or wireless, uh, sorry, electronic or cable group sets on that side? Uh, I'd take electronic um, for that consistency and shifting. Also because the current shifting of the electronic group sets is, is, is marginally better in some respects. I have reservations over some of the transmission performance things, which maybe is what I will go into down the line. The previous generation access to from SRAM was excellent, like really good. And also the way the, the mechs are built is they're pretty bomb-proof, in my experience at least. Um, the other good thing about wireless, if we're looking from a pure sort of tech and bike performance point of view, is that bike frames can, in theory, or could, in theory, be designed without the need to run cables, which opens up possibilities down the line. Interesting. Any final remarks on this one, Liam? You don't Ooh. have to. Putting you on the spot. I, I, I don't think so. I will just preface all of them or you know, clarify that I'm a man that has several bikes with all electronic shifting. <laughs> so <laughs> my opinions on this are pretty invalid, apart from my mountain bike, which does have one solitary rear derailleur that is cable operated. Well, you're speaking to the guy who rides the Fixie and the uh, road bike with the down tube shifter and one right normal shifter. So you're both completely out of my league. Anyway, uh, on to our next one. Tom, you believe that for gravel riding, and we'll, we'll frame this, we'll say the type of gravel riding you enjoy, but mm-hmm. you think most people do. You think people do not require a power meter. You wrote something a bit ruder in your first draft, which I will uh, tone down for the on-site <laughs> version. Uh, go on, give us your rationale on this one. Okay, so I am all for a bit of tech that improves the rider experience. Okay, I, I like suspension on bikes, as we've discussed. Uh, I like dropper posts on mountain bikes, although actually I've taken one off my gravel bike in, in recent months. Uh, disc brakes, because there's absolutely no reason to run a, a rim breaker in 2023. Um, electronic gears, fancy uh, fancy tires, and actually deep section carbon wheels, mostly because they look incredible. Um, whether they are the performance benefit, I don't, know, I don't care about that. Power meters, though, not interested. Not interested for me. Mm-hmm. And also, and I won't use the phrases I've used, I, I feel that Power meters on gravel bikes for, I'm going to say, 99.5% of the population are an exercise in showing off. (laughs) Right. Very PG, well done. Now, if I know anything about training, and I don't... I was going to say, I don't think you do. (laughs) (laughs) I suspect that power meters really, you know, they're quite a scientific thing, and therefore repeatability, consistent conditions, and like... In effect, like proper consistency is really key to getting the most out of a power meter, right? On a road bike, you can kind of get that, right? Because the, the surface that you're riding on is pretty consistent. Generally speaking, the climbs that you're using them on or, or the flats that you're using on, there's there's very little to get in the way of your pedaling. There's, you know, you can put out a set amount of time or a set amount of effort over a set distance, and it's relatively easy. Not as easy as obviously like an indoor bike, mm-hmm. but I mean that's going down another route that we're not going to talk about. On a gravel bike, the whole point of gravel riding, in my most humble of opinions, is that you're going somewhere interesting, somewhere fun, like off-road, where conditions under tyre change on a metre-by-metre basis. I don't know many places on a gravel ride where I could consistently get a consistent output to consistently use that data to consistently train properly, because it's inconsistent. The whole point of gravel riding is that it's inconsistent, and therefore it's actually fun. So... If you're going to use your power meter for training, the gravel bike just isn't the right machine to do it. You, you're better off using your power meter for training on the road or on a uh, on an indoor bike. If you're using a power meter to race, so you can 
look at the data to make sure that you get to the end of your dirty river, your grind euro in 30th place instead of 32nd. I go back to the aforementioned showing off. If you are going to like be winning these races where the use of power is going to help you properly meter out those things, I put you in that 0.5% of the population who rides a gravel bike with a power meter and therefore justified. Everyone else, I just think you're wasting, you know, if anything, you're wasting money. Don't spend the money on a power meter. Spend it on something else. Spend it on suspension. <laughs> Tom, oh. You can see, but Tom is is really enthused and bright <laughs> red right now. He's having a wonderful time. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, <laughs> go on. You're a man who likes a bit of data and racing. What do you think? Increasingly less so these days, but I think that if we are talking about events, uh, gravel events that go for stupid distances, mm-hmm. most of us are not blessed with pro legs. Let's let's be real. We we ain't got the watts and we haven't got the engine. For me, a power meter is a tool to ensure that we don't end up in a ditch kind of begging for someone to <laughs> feed them with some sweet Coca-Cola. <laughs> Full fat. Full fat. You can get yours in any good store. <laughs> I I think it's just such a good pacing tool mm. that heart rate cannot heart rate just cannot compare because Within a day, you'll get heart rate drift through um, being fatigued. Within a day, you'll get different temperatures will affect your heart rate. Everything affects heart rate. Power is pretty much its own kind of data thing. Uh, on, on, on a long ride, right. But how many people are doing these events? How many people really are doing these events and would really... I mean, the other, the other point, you know, like... Powermeter will give you a lot of data. It will give you an FTP. It will give you a 20-minute. It will give you a, I don't know. I don't use one. I was going to say, the, the parameter won't give you that. Your analysis of the data will give you right. that. Right, exactly. And for it to be useful, you therefore have to invest an awful lot of time in your spreadsheets trying to know, like, oh, oh, I'm going for 150 kilometers today. Therefore, I can't put out more than 137 watts for three hours. You know, like, what? <laughs> you've, got to, you, you've got to be fully invested. And that's not fun. I'd like to say that it's it's easier than that. I haven't got a single spreadsheet, I promise. <laughs> You've got a rough idea. I'd, I would say that if you're training as well for these events, then it is the simplest way to make sure that your training is effective. I wouldn't go the whole hog. I had a coach that used to text me after my session because my first 20 minutes, which was meant to be in zone two, was not. Oh, God. And I was like, mate. I'm trying to get out of the city. <laughs> You've just got to deal with what comes. But then I had a coach that was just like, well, just do like a few zone three efforts at, you know, roughly this power. And and that's the kind of ballpark that you want to get to. Some some kind of a bit of knowledge about your data that you can use in but situations. Could you do that zone three effort on an off-road climb yeah. on a gravel bike? Mm, yeah. Depends mm. where you're riding, really. Mm. I it, think the nature yeah. of the riding around Bristol, perhaps not. I will give you that. Very punchy short climbs. Mm. But I'm thinking, for example, Cringiro just passed. Like there was a hill climb stage, stage three. It was long. It was long, long and pretty yeah. consistent gradient. Like I don't, I mean, I'm so not invested in the data that I don't think I could have made anything realistic of that with my power data. But I think if you're really engaged with that and you want to perform well, yes. I will say on your point you made at the very end of your tirade, Tom, is that for most people... Like if you were really seriously considering buying a new bike, you're like, wow, banging group set. This looks really cool. 
oh, but should I spend like 500 pounds more for the power meter equipped one? Absolutely not. Like it's, it's probably, if you're having to think about it, it's not a value add for most people, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Uh, maybe, you know, we, this is a democratic podcast. <laughs> maybe I will concede a little bit of my ire and accept that maybe some people out there do want a power. I have a power meter on my gravel bike, as it turns out. I just never worked out how to connect it to my Garmin. <laughs> Good grief, Tom. <laughs> you really are not covering yourself in glory. <laughs> oh, I've got my electronic gears on my power meter. I don't use it, though. Anyway. <laughs> Right, here's one which I th I'm hoping will encourage some lively debate. You believe that the front derailleur is trash and has no place on a gravel bike. I will point us to uh, Liam of circa seven minutes ago <laughs> when he oh, discussed no. how his front mech on his bike <laughs> stopped working. It's one more thing to stop working. SRAM's one by drivetrains obviously heralded, in my opinion, the death of the front mech uh, nearly a decade ago on mountain bikes. And now you don't really see mountain bikes with them. And as we can see through history of time, gravel bikes and road bikes adopt technology and fashions and, and, and stuff from the mountain bike world. Um, so, it's only, guys, it's a matter of time. Um, <laughs> But um, to be fair, front mechs, I mean, obviously, what do they do? They, they allow you to have a wider spread of gears with a closer range gears within them, set of ratios within that wide spread, right? Which I understand, especially on road bikes. Road bikes, 100%. I'm all for uh, the front and, mech. and gravel bikes. And on a gravel bike, um, it comes back to that consistency thing. Like if you're riding somewhere like I ride a gravel bike, kind of mountain bike adjacent, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think those closely matched ratios are that important. Certainly not to the extent where I'd happily have two rings up front and a mech swinging wildly off my off my seat tube, occasionally working quite often not. I would rather take a wide-ranging SRAM cassette or Shimano cassette, usually, what is it, 10, 1044, uh, although if you've got like the new ones, they get to 1050, I think, on the new SRAM stuff. Now, that is a proper wide-ranging cassette. The spaces between them, there is a bit of a jump. There is a bit of a jump. I understand that. But I think off-road, I think they that kind of gets swallowed up in just a change of pace or a change of technique or a change of surface. And I rarely have found myself really thinking, you know what I need now? It's more faff on my bike. Uh. <laughs> uh, okay, Liam, what do you think? I I fully disagree. Yeah. I, yeah. I, oh, fight, no, fight, right. fight. I absolutely love a front derailleur on a gravel bike because I am someone uh, that has to ride to the gravel sections and my gravel sections are relatively short around here. I fully agree that when I'm on those gravel sections... Whatever chain ring I'm in, I'm not coming out of one because it's too bloody bumpy to change out of it. But two, because I don't really need to. Like you, like you say, once you're there, the speed is what's going to change. Mm. Not You're not really focusing on a smooth cadence. But on the road sections, there is nothing worse for me than riding bloody mountain bike that I've got with its single front ring and massive spread of gears at the back because all I want is a slightly better, tighter, closer range of gears at the back mm. because I, I just feel like I'm always in between gears. Are you trying too hard on your gravel rides? <laughs> this this may be this may be a cause, yeah. Personally, I, I also think that, right, I'm going to offend a few people here, but I think that one by in terms of gravel bikes, 
was almost invented a bit to sell bikes to newer riders because it's like, oh, you only have to think, and especially with SRAM stuff, you only have to think about, do I want harder and paddle with that hand or do I want easier and paddle with that hand? Mm -hmm. With, you know, if you've been riding for, let's say, three days, I'm pretty sure you can get to grips with a front derailleur. Like, mm, yeah, you say that. I think about mm. my days in the bike shops and the trenches, and like, for a consumer beginner point of view, one by is is definitely easier to get your head around. And people will ride, you know, for years and years and years, and never come out of their middle chainring, and then go like, ah, "Why is my drivetrain worn out?" So I, I think for beginners, particularly, I'm getting off piece here, but like on commuter entry level bikes, one by is more sensible. I think for gravel bikes, I'm probably more with Liam on this one, I'm afraid. Mm. I'm, I'm a two-by guy. I like the wider range it's offered, particularly because I'm a bit of a legend, actually. <laughs> and I like descending very fast on fire roads and not having a gear spin out is, is preferable. Well, I mean, how? I mean, so I've got a, a 40, a 40 tooth, I think, on my on my lap. Is it a 40 or is it a 42? It'll be a 40. It'll be a 40, right? 40, 10 i.e. the top ratio, to spin that out. I mean, I know you are a legend, Jack, but you had to be going really bloody fast to spin that out. Like, yeah, but to yeah. spin it out, it also feels horrific. It does feel like horrific. whatever, whatever <laughs> is the... Do you think my drivetrain ever feels anything other than it? I mean, do you think my maintenance routine? <laughs> whatever the bottom cog is on your bike, be it an 11 on... A 10 or a 9 or whatever, yeah. I always think they feel terrible mm. i i never think that the sh- shifting is smooth into or out of them i never think that the chain sounds nice within them i would much rather have larger chain rings so that those times when i am deciding to pedal downhill because who does that maybe i was doing an effort with the coach that would be in my ear but yeah i i just prefer mm. being kind of in the middle to lower mm. end of the cassette I and think not in the 11. On the mountain bike side as well, like one of the things I would defend one by four mountain bikes is it opens up frame design more yes. than anything mm. else. It makes it much easier to optimize, for example, suspension, kinematics. I think on a gravel bike, there's less. There are less wins, but there are still, and you know, if we take the, the Lauf Segler, for example, you know, it has really snappy chain stays and loads of tire clearance. You've got mm. tire clearance. It's a very for fair point, actually. Tire clearance. It's DRC and like, I can't remember, the chain stays, what, 420 or something? It's the same with the Crux. Like, mm. And, they, and you know, and to an extent, I think the, the Diverge used mm. that solid um, piece of yeah, carbon. Yeah, like solid mm. Yeah. I, I think in those situations, one by is obviously quite useful. To give context, for those that aren't aware, front derailers will quite often foul the rear tyre, particularly mm. larger ETAP style ones where the battery uh, sticks out a little bit from the rear. Um, quite often, the case that it will limit your tyre clearances. That is a fair point, Tom, one I hadn't considered. Uh, I may just jump in with one final counterpoint to myself. Fair. Fine. Um, because, as I said, we're all friends here. This is democratic. Um, I've been using the classified rear hub recently. I, I know, Liam, you've, you've ridden that as well for a... Uh, reviewed it for a title that shan't be named on this podcast. It's effectively a two-speed rear hub, so it, it it's effectively gives you a two-by drivetrain, but the front gears, in effect, are held in the rear hub. So you can still run a one-by drivetrain. You've still got all the benefits of that, of which there are many. Um, but you get your slightly wider spread of gears. You get those closer ratios if you really need them, if you're that princess in the pee about it all. <laughs> um, and you spend the thick end of 1,300 quid to get it. So, you know, like, there, yeah, fair enough. If you've got a lot of money to drop and you really want the front mate, just get a classified rear hub. 
Or do what I'm going to do. When I send that classified rear hub back, I'm going to put a mountain bike set on there with a 1052 and a mountain bike rear mech on there and pair it to my shifters and get a full 520% range one by gravel bike. I'm going to take you on some horrible gravel rides with really long road sections. <laughs> sort of like rolling, rolling terrain and then just watch you I will say, off. actually, there's one road behind... Uh, if you know Bristol, there's an area called Pensford, uh, which has a viaduct and it's very pretty. It's a very nice part of town. There is a lovely rolling road that kind of goes behind Pensford or to, the, I guess, the south of Pensford, cutting across towards Bristol Airport from the viaduct. And that is a road with lots of little ups and little downs. And that is where a front mech or the classified have really works because you stick in one gear at the, at the back and then you just chop and change between the big and the little gear and it just rolls really nice like that. It's, it's, it's lovely. Hey, what? No, 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 no. You're going up little rollers and you're switching to the big ring. This is, I don't think you've read the rules. This is illegal. <laughs> you stick in the big ring, Tom, because it, it looks cool. No. Well, I've <laughs> only got one ring to stick in. <laughs> no one's going to know because you can't see with exactly. the classified. That, the funny thing is about the classified thing, I don't get why mountain bikers haven't picked this up much. I think we should do a full podcast on this in the future. But I cannot understand why mountain bikers haven't gone, oh, okay, so we could have, you know, the the same chain rings. Um, we could have a tighter cassette and then get the same spread. I, what's happened? So they released the mountain bike version of the Classified Hub only about a month-ish ago. Oh, I will let you all off. But I suspect one of the reasons why I particularly am maybe not so interested in I would need to measure it all, but like the... Can I guess? Can I guess? Is it unsprung mass? Bingo. Yes! I am a mountain biker still. Go on, you explain it. Um, so unsprung mass is the mass that, you know, the wheel is the unsprung mass, for example, whereas the frame is sprung mass. So on either side of the suspension, you have sprung or unsprung mass. And if it is unsprung, it takes a lot more effort to move out the way. So if you try and reduce your unsprung mass, it makes everything smoother, make everything better. Um, and so by having a large chunk of weight, depending on how much that classified hub weighs, it's not going to improve suspension feel. If anything, it's going to make it worse. The other sort of side of that, depending on how much it weighs, and I don't know how much the hub weighs, needs to be measured, um, but it will impact on the sort of the riding dynamics, which, you know, on a bike which is designed to be f- predominantly off-road and through Tekka's terrain, the weight balance is really important. I'm going to unsprung you onto your next topic because that's a complete and utter divergence from the uh, topic of this podcast. But anyway, final point. And I dare say I'm going to preempt this one, perhaps one we will all agree on, but maybe not. Maybe Liam's feeling spicy. Tom Barvin, you believe that no, despite what everybody says in the comments, gravel bikes are not 90s mountain bikes. Yes, this is a proper old trope and I hate it. Mm. I hate it as someone who loves gravel riding and who's mountain biked for a long time, including just about in the 90s. Right, you can ride a gravel bike in a similar fashion to how mountain bikes were ridden in the 90s, right? And yes, in the 90s, suspension forks, they had 30 to 50 mil of travel, blah, 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 blah. But that is where the similarities end. There are so many differences. Like, uh, you can't go into all the differences. There's just too many. Give us, give us three key differences. Right, okay. Basically, technology has advanced. Incomparably. Incomparably. Imagine, like, the first ever computer, right? Pretty rubbish. And, there, and now imagine, like, your super fancy iPhone 14, right? The difference is stark, right? This is the same difference, but in bicycle form. Beautiful analogy there, Tom. Thank that you. wasn't pained yeah, at yeah, all. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I just came up with it. So right, one of the areas which we, we could talk about, tyres, for example. Okay, in the 90s, tyres were 26-inch. They had pretty hard compound. They were relatively probably a similar width, to be really honest. 
Um, but they punctured quickly. You ran them with inner tubes. You ran them on horrible steel rims. They were heavy. They had crap compounds, and they were just rubbish, okay? Now, even on a gravel bike, you've got tyre compounds that are beautifully, like, sticky with loads of mechanical grip, loads of chemical grip. The, the, the tread patterns have been developed over years and years of experience of taking things off-road. You have carcasses that have been built with wonderful materials that are supple and yet strong, that help you roll fast and give you plenty of grip. You know, like, the, the difference in tyres is huge. You have gears that work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's like the biggest thing. Like they actually. What, you work. don't miss three by seven thummies, Tom. Three by seven thummies. No, like you have gears that work consistently, whether they're covered in crap or not. Whether you've maintained them. Well, or that's not. not what you said earlier. Well, you know, it's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if your gears. They have gears with batteries on that you just have to charge every couple of weeks, and it works every single time you use them. Materials. You know, no longer are we trying to get a sub ten kilogram mountain bike by drilling holes in everything. You just go and get a. You know a gravel bike that weighs eight, nine kilos. The differences are so vast. And then there's geometry, then there's handlebars, then there's there's all sorts of things mm. that are so different that they're not mountain bikes from the 90s. The riding might be similar, but the bikes are entirely different. Yeah, pretty much with you there. If I ever see someone comment with that foot of John Tomac running the uh-huh. drop bar mountain bike again, they're like, oh, it looks familiar. Oh, God, it winds uh, me up so much. <laughs> I don't remember anyone else doing that other than John Tomac, so clearly it wasn't a thing. Yeah, I, I think for me... I'm going to go back to Gunduru again. Really, really techers riding for a gravel race. And I think about when I was just a young lad riding my, in fact, I showed you a photo of it yesterday, my mm. Marin Attack Trail from 2004. Mm. You know, 2004 is relatively long ago in mountain bike technology. I would say that gravel bike was probably as capable or certainly less scary to ride yeah. on some of that terrain. Things like, for example, the suspension fork was a Talus 28, I think. Mm. Very waggly fork. Big, beefy, but still comfortable carbon fork. Not suspension, I'm afraid, Tom. On the front of the Canyon Grizzle. Very confidence-inspiring, but relatively comfortable. Tires, the fact that they've moved to, or rather on gravel bikes, they are 700C, same as 29-inch. Tubeless. Tubeless, better rollover, like very confidence-inspiring. And geometry-wise, like they're so different. They're mm. so different. Even things like that Grizzle, I'd have to double-check, I think it's like an 80 or 90 mil stem with, relatively speaking, quite long reach. Like a 90s mountain bike, the top tubes were as long as a like a school ruler with a stem twice as long. Mm. No wonder they felt sketchy off-road. Gravel bikes, no such qualms. One of the other things that people quite often say is, oh, what's the point in a gravel bike? Because just get an XC mountain bike. Mm. And like, you know, Joe Knowledge of East Formula this parish was a bit of a proponent of the mountain bike over, mm. a, over a gravel bike. But look at this way, like, so... One has like flat handlebars and you, you sat up like this sort of thing, right? Okay. Tom is sitting up for those who cannot up, see I'm him. I'm sitting up straight my back instead of slouching like a lazy man. Um, the other one has like curly bars. You know, they have a variety of hand positions. You can achieve that low frontal area, making those aerodynamic efficiencies easy to gain, right? So you can go on those longer rides. You're out of the wind um, and you've got loads of different hand positions to put it on, whereas otherwise you stood up straight in the wind. Like, if, if there was no real difference between the bike position of uh, a mountain bike and a gravel bike, and you say, oh, I'll get a mountain bike, it's more comfortable, you can see better where you're going. You don't see anyone riding the Tour de France on a hybrid, do you? Because there's a vast difference. <laughs> so, <laughs> Liam, do you have anything to add to that? I, I disagree with you both. Really? <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm genuinely... 
I go on plenty of gravel rides around, you know, the local trails and stuff. And even with the Lauf, like I've said how good it is off-road, but that 20 mil of suspension and the 50 whatever millimeter tires, it just isn't enough. Not for me to really let go and have proper fun. Mm. Now, th- this could well be uh, an off-road skills issue on my part, but when I'm riding my cross-country mountain bike around the local area, it is just so much more capable because we are blessed here with roots and rocks and they are relatively sizable. And the gravel bike I love when I'm riding around Salisbury Plain because yeah. the the more efficient position, you know, the, the heavier, let's say, gears, I much prefer it. But when I'm when I'm doing stuff in the local area, oh I feel like my gravel bike is a nineties mountain bike. Well, Tom, with a with a man with access to all the bikes you could ever wish for, I mean, if you were doing a local smash around Bristol, would you mm. be picking out the gravel bike or would you be going for the mountain bike? So there's a little loop that I like to go and do every now and again. It's good for testing cross-country mountain bikes on. It's good for riding gravel bikes on. And I did it last night on my gravel bike in the rain. On your own, I'm afraid. I'm very on sorry my, I didn't uh, come thanks, with you, Tom. I'm very uh, sorry. for that. And I did it on the gravel bike yesterday. And my times are relatively similar uh, across the two different bikes, but mostly because... There is sort of, it's a very varied route with like Tekka's single track. You know, there's actually a point last night, I was chucking it down in the rain, but only just starts, you know, when like the rocks have gone from dry to wet and there's like that greasy phase mm. and it's like absolutely lethal. I, I'm almost embarrassed to say I actually got off my gravel bike at one point. And Did you? And scrambled down <gasps> a, a rocky. Where was that? It was, it was also really overgrown. It's in terrible condition and i was in a bit of a grump was it, that because i didn't come with no, 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 no. it's because i'm feeling out of shape and i had to ride up a steep hill and i didn't like it uh it was um <laughs> off the back of dundry you know you go up dundry and then you go off the back and you go through a farmer's field oh that's horrendous and then you drop down. it's like a really miserable. enclosed like rocky rooty eyes oh, uh, you know it's what? a disgusting descent no wonder you walk down some of it however i'm going to go in there in a torrential downpour and film myself riding down <laughs> it's upset you. Can you as long as you go just as the downpour starts <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no I, I i i do mix it up a lot um there is definitely time and place for a cross-country mountain bike but i think on those like when i've done those longer gravel rides you know whether it's i'm going to you know, shut off. You know, if I'm going to do 150k from home, I'm not doing it on an XC mountain bike, although I have done it, but I wouldn't do it again. Mm. Here's an idea. Why haven't we done this before? Let's get a NAF 90s mountain bike, a modern gravel bike. We should do a video. So my final point on, on my written piece is, and finally, it's 2023. If you really think gravel bikes are just an excuse to sell more bikes when you could just ride a 90s mountain bike... Good luck going and finding a new 30-year-old mountain bike because they simply don't exist. <laughs> well, we'll find an old one and do a video. We should. Mm, we should. That would be very entertaining. Maybe it'd be boring. You can let us know at podcast. <laughs> if I could. No, no, that'd be excellent. It'd be excellent. I think that's enough. I don't think I could take any more red-hot opinions, Tom. I'm, I'm hot under the collar with gravel gossip. It is just too much to handle. I need a lie down. Uh, that's probably because you were a big lunch you had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, both of you, for joining. To our wonderful listeners, what did you think of Tom Marvin's opinions? We will be running this feature on site. Uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts, please do so in the comments there. Or if you prefer, send those through to podcast at bikeradar.com. If there's any other sort of controversial gravel debates you'd like us to have, again, send those to the podcast email address. We're always looking for suggestions. We'd love to discuss the things you want us to investigate. 
Tom Marvin, Liam Cahill, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast. And I look forward to riding mountain bikes with you, both of you <laughs> after work tonight. <laughs> hey. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 